Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. We're going to cover verses 8 through verse 14. I know you're thinking Romans, or I thought we were going to take a hiatus from that. Well, we are when I cover the first four chapters. I want to cover this this week, and I want to spend two or three weeks talking about intimacy with the Lord. And then I'm going to begin on Romans chapter 15 in the middle of the month, next month. But for right now, if you will, turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And out of this passage, I'm going to pick out six principles that are really evident that you should be able to see in here. Very simple for you to even be, even remember. So this outline that I'm going to give to you is coming expositorily from Scripture. Scripture, but it should be something that you could remember. But what you do need to know is a little bit of the backdrop of it, so it really takes on more of just me grabbing some verses out of the Bible and flinging them at you. It really comes with a great deal of substance. It's actually in a portion of Scripture where Paul is already writing to the Romans on the Christian life. We will call it the service section of the six parts of the six mountain peaks of the book of Romans. We just finished up sin and salvation. We're going to begin when I come back and dealing with security. But at chapter 12 is when he moves away from the doctrinal part, although all scripture is doctrine, I get that, but some of the deeper academics of the doctrine, and now he gets into the deportment, how we live our life. And so now that's why I can say these are some practical applications on how we can get ready for the rest of our life. And I I like it. In fact, I almost titled this message, Make the Rest of Your Life the Best of Your Life. And you can't go wrong making the rest of your life the best of your life when you begin to allow God's word to change you from the inside out. So with that in mind, here's the first word, and that's the word we need to pay up. And that's coming from verse 8 and only the first part of it. So what are the six practical principles of action here in Romans chapter 13 and how to make the rest of your life the best of your life, getting ready for the rest of your life? Verse 8 begins by saying this, Owe nothing to anyone. And then it talks about what we are to owe, but owe nothing or owe anything. Don't, don't be in debt is basically what it's saying here. Now let me make sure you understand. Being in debt not, is not necessarily wrong if there is an agreement made between the loan, lender and the one who is going into debt. You will find in the Old Testament that there are caveats about going into debt. There are qualifications. There's requirements. It's what you do if you're going to go into debt. This is what you're going to do if you're going to borrow money, what you need to do. So it's loaded in Scripture with the fact of that indebtedness sometimes is a way of life. Business people do it. Other people do it. I imagine most of you have or had some level of debt in your life. What is this talking about? It's talking about going deeper into debt. Don't keep getting deeper into debt. So basically it is to pay up. If you want to hold your place here, I'd like you to look at an Old Testament reference to show a balance of this and why it's good for us to move in the direction of releasing ourselves from debt by paying back those that we owe. So if you will, for just a moment, turn to Psalm 37. Psalm 37, if you'll turn there. If you don't have it, just listen along as I read this to you. Psalm 37. At the beginning of verse 21 of Psalm 37, it says, The wicked borrows and does not pay back. It didn't say the wicked borrows, period. So you're not wicked if you borrow. When the wickedness steps in is when you borrow and you do not pay back. Now, there could be a whole list of reasons why you don't pay back. It's implying here you don't pay back when you could and should pay back and you beyond the contract or the covenant that you made with the person with whom you're borrowing. So that's why it says, let's try not to get into debt. Let's get out of debt. Let's pay up when we can. How important it is to get that. 
Now, some of you will own that principle. You'll say, okay, I do want to get out of debt. I'll work hard to get out of debt, and I'll do whatever I can to stay out of debt. And we think it's ended there. The purpose of getting out of debt is not just to get under, out from underneath the bondage of debt. The rest of the verse kind of explains it. Look in the rest of verse 21. It says, but, I like that word but, that connects you. It shows you the contrast. But the righteous, it doesn't say, is out of debt. It says, no, the righteous is gracious and gives. So here's the implication. If you're in debt, you often don't have enough to give when you need to give or how much you need to give or to whom you need to give because you're under some form of indebtedness. And so the righteous person is the one who will give, not the righteous one who is out of debt. The wicked is the one who is in debt but will not pay. So let me encourage all of us here that as we now face the future, that we now build into us the idea that we are going to look back and we're going to say, that was then, this is now, and we are going to walk the road of being very frugal with our money and how we get it, guard it, and give it, so that we then will be able to give it in a way, graciously, properly, generously, sacrificially, cheerfully, and that way God will be honored through it. Now, I got thinking now, what would be some of the problems about being in debt? There's a lot of them, but let me just submit two of them to you that seem to work with me. One, if I'm a lot in debt, it hinders me from being able to do something when I really would like to do it. Those of you that are planning on going on a mission trip, some of you might be thinking, I'd love to go on, a, I'd love to be, but I got so much, I got so many bills right now. So now you have inner tension. Do I go or do I not go? How far do I go? How much do I spend? Do I do, do I just by faith it go and still stay in debt when I owe people money that they are expecting that money at a certain time? So often indebtedness could hinder us from moving forward when God might want us to move forward in an area because we have this. Here's the second thing that indebtedness can do for us and why we need to pay back. If you're heavily in debt and you know that there are seriousness of your indebtedness, it becomes part of your thinking almost all the time. Now, the good thinking might drive you to say, you know what, I need to kind of scale back. I need to have a moratorium on my spending. So maybe that's good by being in debt. It pressures you to get back into the boundaries again of how to use good money management. Other times, though, we could be in debt so much that it basically consumes us. So all of a sudden we feel this, so now we think we have to take on more work. We've got to take on more jobs, we've got to, and that draws us further away from family, and, of course, then we can't do other things. And It becomes an an enslaving situation in our life. So if we're looking at the future and we want to take care of the past, it might be good for us to not only recognize it as a pretty good principle, you know, get out of debt if we can. I think it's something that we ought to be driven to. Let's get a better handle on our funding. Let's really not owe anybody money beyond what we've agreed to pay at a certain time that we're going to pay them and to do it in a way that as soon as we could, we could perhaps be debt-free and maybe make that one of your goals or objectives this year by the grace of God to pay up. Now, the last caveat before I go to our next point, it's simply this. If you are in debt with someone and you haven't made good on that payment or that promise that you made, let me encourage you to go to that person, negotiate with them, apologize, and reestablish your payment plan to them, and then in your own heart, scale back on your living you will be amazed at how little we could live on if we chose to live on a little less. If you agree with that, would you say amen? So let's do that together as a faith family. And then we can be righteous 
and be ready to give when there's needs in the body, needs for our church missions, or for other needs in our family as well. So that's number one, so pay up. The second is to build up, and it's in the same verse. So let's go back to Romans chapter 13. It's to build up, and basically it's to build up one another. And we know that uh, knowledge will puff us up if we don't understand the use of knowledge properly, but love will build up. It edifies. And so that's why in Romans chapter 13, as the verse goes on, a lot further from the end of verse 8 all the way through verse 10. So let me read that to you, and then I'm going to give you a little exposition on it. Verse 8, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except, if you are to be in debt, you are to owe, owe love to one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So when I talk about building up one another, that means looking out at the people with whom you come in contact with. Some will begin with those that are closest to you, which would be your mate. Maybe the next extension out would be your children. And then you can see how that little wave of people that you come in contact with will spread out. Some of them might be a person you only meet once and it's briefly. Like the car that's behind you or next to you or in front of you. Or maybe pulling into the parking place that you thought belonged to you. So it's expressing love to all those people. Now if you want to, you could circle that word when it says love one another. The word another there. And the reason I want you to circle that in your Bible is so that it will stand out. In the Greek, there are two different Greek words for the word another. One means another of the same kind and the other means another of a different kind. So let me use this illustration. You know that when I preach the gospel, when I give the simple plan of salvation, that I will emphasize in one way or another that scripture says that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Now let's say I led off with that message and we were team preaching and then the other person speaking behind me would be Pastor Dennis. He comes up and he gives another gospel. In other words, he says to you all again, salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. What did he just do? He gave another gospel of the same kind. He just gave it again. That would be saying, love and again, love another. The other one would be, if I'm preaching and I'm telling you that it's by faith alone and Christ alone, and we have a guest speaker, and he now comes up and he tells you that you have to do something else added to grace, then he gave another of a different kind, kind of gospel. And now you've got conflict in there. In this context, that word there, another, means love another. Not another person of the same kind like you, but love another person of a different kind. Now, that really opens it up to great application. Some Bible scholars were now talking to Christians and implying you love not only your own, the believers, but you also love those that are the non-believers. And it was spoken more to Jewish believers than to those that are the non-Jewish believers. So it kind of branches out from that. I would like to say that instead of being so putting everybody in a box that you have to love another and then specifically say this, I would like to say that it's a general statement, that you love another kind of person. That would be a person that would be the opposite sex, appropriately, of course. It could be someone of a different color skin, a different cultural background. It could be someone of a different economic background, another person of another intellectual background, another language background. It could be a person who lives in another location. It's just another of a different person than you are. And I'll tell you this right now. Every one of you in some area, including Carol and me, would be different from one another in some measure. Some are greatly different and some are minor different. But here we're to love one another. 
Now, in this loving one another, it says, and so fulfill the law, he's really going back to what is called the Decalogue. The Decalogue means Deca, ten, so the Ten Commandments. Now, that's not all the law, but we're going to take all the law, throw it into ten, you have ten. And out of that, some of those are dealing with your relationship upward, although they all are in some way, some implicit, some are, are not. But these are dealing with relationships with others. And that's why it says, so fulfill the law. So basically it's saying you're fulfilling the royal law, you're fulfilling all the law, because everything boils down to, here it is, four-letter word, L-O-V-E. And so now what he's saying here is, we are to love one another. So again, we are facing a new year, and you're also releasing another year. Now I'd like you to go back in your mind, if you can, and I want you to think about the people who stepped on you, your emotions, your feelings, your beliefs, whoever they might have been, those that have really hurt you. And we've all had them, I've had them, you've had them, people that just went sideways on you for whatever reason. If we really love that person, perhaps the first thing we need to do to express that love is to take that person to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to confess my attitude was wrong to that person. I did it in my heart wrong. I said things to them wrong. I said things about them wrong. And I need to clean up my mess. If I really love them, the first thing I need to do is to bring down those walls that I've had as best as I can, at least take responsibility for my part. I'm going to love them by releasing them to you to do what you need to, what you want to do in their life. My job is just to love them. And then as we face the future, I want you to maybe look at those starting at the center circle, which would be your mates, your kids, your whatever. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes the people that are the closest to you, and you'll agree with this, I think, that are closest to you, we take the most for granted, do we not? And sometimes we expect to get away a little bit more with them. And I struggle with that too, and I've got to work on that. I'm just so grateful that the love of God can be shed abroad in my heart and that it's doable. I can work on it and have success. So I want you to look into the new year. Be prepared to build up others. And I think when we do that, the result will be we will be built up ourselves. So look to the future to try to love on other people. And when you do, it's not just giving them a buy. It's providing them in a gracious, merciful way their greatest need. So for some of them, It's us stepping out of our comfort zone, loving them enough to present them the gospel. This is not to make anyone feel guilty, but it is enough to cause us to think. When was the last time you went nose to nose, eyeball to eyeball, and toes to toes with someone and presented them the simple plan of salvation from your lips? That's a key for all of us. What have we done to begin a relationship for the purpose of somehow probing them with the gospel? And so there's a lot of ways that people have needs in which we can love. So think about how we could love them. And by doing that, my friend, I think we'll really build up one another and what a joy that could be. Well, we talked about, you know, paying up. We talked about building up. Now let's talk about waking up. I wanted to get to this point because I believe this is kind of the underlying current in this portion of Scripture, which is simply this. It's talking about the soon either coming of the Lord or the fact that we are going to connect with the Lord very, very, very soon. So this is really a timed piece of principles in Romans for them to realize. You need to do this because the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. Now with that being in mind, that even makes this message even more important because, now catch this, this is really important is that we don't need a new year to make these decisions. We don't need to have a new event in our life that's going to happen to make the decisions to apply this passage of Scripture. 
You know, Scripture says we make the decision to trust Christ once and for all. We make the decision to surrender to the life, to, to the person of Christ as our Lord once and for all. We, we give him our life. But it's the rest of our life that we keep making those decisions to renew our mind to get back to that again and again and again. This portion of Scripture doesn't have a date, doesn't have an event, but it has the person of Christ and the soon connection of us with him. And that's the motivation behind why I need to make this decision, folks, right away. Now, for some of us, it's maybe a little bit more. The older we get, statistically, says that we're closer to death. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm closer to my deathbed than I am to my, my marriage bed, if you know what I'm trying to say. And so for us, I really need to engage these principles because for me, my own physicalness will bring me to Jesus sooner. Some of you that are young and you think, man, you've got a whole life ahead of you, just open today's paper, and I haven't even opened it yet. But in it, you're going to find some story of some young person who died unexpectedly. So even for them, as I say to you young people, make your decision now. Because Jesus, in your connection to him, is ever so close. So let's talk about wake up. Let's go back now to verse, if you don't mind, verse 11. And here's what you read. It says, do this. And by the way, underline the phrase, do this. In other words, some people say, well, I, you know, I don't want to do it. If I don't do it, I have guilt and all of this kind of stuff. You do it. God says, you do this, knowing the time. And while I haven't spoken a great deal about the second coming of Christ and his imminent return, I want you to know as I go on record that I do believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, and I pray that he'd come back even in the middle of this message. I could find no better thing I could be doing than preaching his word for him to come and get us. All right, and you as well, hearing his word of all the places to be. Then it says that it is already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep, for salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. There's a lot in there, and I'm going to try to be quick with it. It says already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. It is not talking so much about a siesta like you are actually asleep. In fact, the Encyclopedia Britannica defines sleep this way. Sleep is a state of inactivity with a loss of consciousness and the decrease in responsiveness to events taking place. So I would just use this word, apathy, lethargy, this idea that you're not fully asleep, but emotionally, and watch this, spiritually, we're kind of disconnected and unresponsive to the word, to the things around us, to the opportunities that God has given to us, to the reality that Jesus never sleeps and he's right there in our life. Then we can be asleep. And so he's saying here, wake up. Now that concept of wake up, is not only found here, it's found in Ephesians and other places, including the Old Testament as well, talking about, wake up, people. This is reality. This is not another Sunday morning sermon. This message, out of all of them that could be preached, God, the Holy Spirit, led us to do this together today. Wake up to it. And that's what he's really trying to say here. And then it says, for now salvation is nearer to us. And in a way that it is, one, the Lord could come back at any moment. The fact that we could die at any moment, it's nearer to us than ever before. And then it says, then when we believe. I trusted Christ in November of 1966. There are some of you that trusted Christ just this last year. So, in a sense, you are closer to seeing Jesus now than you were a year ago when you first believed. So at any moment, he can come back. I like to look at it this way. When Jesus came, he paid the penalty for our sin. So that's already done. Now, I'm living in the victory over the power of sin, or at least the potential of it. But in the future, I'm going to be delivered from the presence of sin. And so I know that at any moment he could come into my life. And so let me just encourage you to, to kind of wake up 
to all of this stuff. We have a dog in our house. You all know that little Koa. And uh, Koa is a nice dog. He's a, he, those who have been to our house, he doesn't jump up on you very much. He doesn't bark when you come up. He just kind of jumps all around to be loved on, that kind of thing. But at night, our bedroom is on the second floor. We, have, we live very close to our neighbors. And for us, we need to keep the windows open just to have some air for us to kind of, you know how it is here in Hawaii. And our little dog, though, it must think it's a German shepherd then because at night it's got to bark at any little noise that it hears. Now, for me, I sleep. I go to sleep like this. Now, for me, that's not hard. But when I'm asleep and that dog, just like I woke up a bunch of you, okay, that's how I get awakened. And I mean, I am fully alert on track. And of course, I, I want to send Koa to doggy heaven, but I don't do that. But in a moment, like that dog awakened me, there's no amount of preaching and yelling and pulpit pounding that can wake you up. The Spirit will do His job, but there has to be that willingness for the Spirit to transform you to say, I have that conviction. Remember at the beginning of the sermon, I asked you to go to the Lord privately as I'm preaching this to really say, Lord, speak to me, show me, convict me. What he was doing right then is he was with his ever-loving way, his grace was waking you up to this truth. Now, when the dog barks, I don't go right back to sleep. It'll take me a while. But I wonder how many Christians go from sermon to sermon, seminar to seminar, or whatever better speaker they like. They get awakened for that moment, but they don't stay awake. I'm one like that. And so for me, I have to keep myself awake. I have to keep reminding myself to make sure that I am awake at all the times. When I stay awake, I need to, what do I need to be awakened to? Well, I need to be awakened to his word, of course, but I need to be awakened on a practical level to the ever-changing world in which we live. Let me ask you to raise your hand on this one. I think you'll feel comfortable. Those of you that lived on this island for 20 years or more, is Hawaii, Oahu particularly, any different today than it was 20 years ago? Would you raise your hand? Okay. Now, I'm not talking about all the condos in Waikiki. I'm just talking about what we're doing here today and what the government allows us to do or not do. Things are changing, are they not? And because they're ever-changing, that doesn't mean the lostness has changed. It does mean with a postmodern mindset that the thinking is getting so entrenched in an anti-God thinking pattern that it requires more information to have to give to these people for them to understand the reality of Christ as well as the futility of the world's thinking so that they come to a point of lostness or their understanding thereof so they can put their faith in Christ. So I need to be awakened to that and that's why I need to be trained and I need to read books, I need to study and how can I take the message better to those people. And we as a church and leadership need to decide better, more effective ways to reach the people. Now, some of you will push back and you'll say, no, it's just the word. I get that. Preaching the word clearly, I get all of that too. Doing it with love, I get all of that. That's, I'm never going to change from that. But at the same time, we do need to make some of the changes. Why? In the days of the Puritans and the Reformers, they didn't have air conditioning, so therefore we don't have it. They didn't have padded pews, therefore we don't have it. They didn't have, you know, and, and so we don't live 200, 300 years ago. We live in the needs of our people here so that they can be mentally ready to be able to receive the truths of God's word. And all of you know that because we've all made changes in our own homes than we did 30 or 40 years ago. So there needs to be a change. And then, of course, we all know that we're living in the last days. So what are the things we need to do? We need to pay up. We need to build up. We need to wake up. 
And now I want to talk about we need to gear up. And I put this word in here because I think Scripture implies that. But I think it's for you military people because for you those that are in military, this is a great term. I, I, I've not been in military. I can only imagine what they might say to you when you're kind of a little bit more casual and you're ready to go to the next level. I don't know if they shout out, okay, gear up. I don't know about that. But I do know that maybe when you're going out skin diving and you're going to the water scuba diving, they're finally doing everything and they're going to say, okay, gear up. In other words, put on what you need to do so that you can be safe when you're going to go do it. I can imagine other athletes will do that. Gear up when you do that. I know that when Carol has me in the kitchen, she says, put an apron on so I don't splash grease all over my clothes. So it's her little way to say, Stan, gear up. Put on something that's going to protect you. And so this is different than dress up. This is gear up. And I wanted you to hear the term gear up because I want you to realize that we are all in a spiritual war. So it's more than just dressing right. It means gearing right so we can be protective, so we can do effective warfare in it. So let's look at the verse in verse 12. And it says, The night is almost gone, meaning we're almost out of time, and the day is near. Not so much talking about light and darkness physically, but more spiritually, meaning the day is almost near that the Lord is here. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.